According to the Daily Beast, Disney has released its gayest kids movie yet at the craziest time. And it says in small font there, the Daily Beast is obsessed. Obsession with a kid's sexual habits is a weird thing to admit to, but you do you, Daily Beast. Here's a clip from the movie. I'm about to go You're a hundred times funnier and quicker than I am. Don't you look like the kid that went viral on TikTok? I didn't know you could do all that. Find your light. You're insane. I'm theatrical. Hold up just a second. Sorry, I thought we were alone. You guys are so weird. We know. I'm about to go I mean, they're saying this is the gayest movie yet. Because they're in a theater? I don't, I don't even know why is it a gay movie. But it says here, here's the quote. The film, in the most beautiful sign of progress, and the greatest compliment I can give is something desperately I wish I had when I was growing up. It's a love letter to kids, to theater kids, and most specifically to theater kids who were made to feel shy or ashamed about who they were and how they acted, and who probably, almost 100% of the time, grew up to be gay. Now, maybe the movie really is the gayest movie ever, though the trailer just seems to be about a kid who likes theater and that the Daily Beast wants to assume is gay because they want us to believe stereotypes about gay people, I think. But the movie's gayness is not the problem. The problem is that it seems to be a musical. And musicals suck. I'm pretty sure that's in the scriptures somewhere. Stu does America. I really... Speaking of obsessed, I'm obsessed. Why do they think this is a gay movie? I don't even understand it. I mean, I, I watched the trailer. Nothing in there indicates the kid is gay other than him being in the theater. And it's like, are there not straight people that like theater? I, I, don't, I don't even understand it. The only thing they show in there is the kid in a bathroom with a girl, which is like a really, it's really low on the gay scale, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to subscribe to Blaze TV. We have Alex Epstein today. This is an important one. Washington Post is trying to smear him. We'll get his side of the story. The Trump phone logs. There's been an update, a correction of sorts. We'll get to that. But we start by doing the woke religion. Mm. Ron DeSantis is signaling support for stripping Disney of special self-governing status as feud escalates. And this is... It's a weird part of the story. It's actually fascinating. And I, I, next time, remind me, uh, Adam, in the control room uh, on Wednesday to ask Glenn to tell the story because, you know, he's uh, the biggest Disney nerd in the world, uh, or at least was until recently. And the history of this and why, uh, the, you know, Disney is able to basically run its own government <laughs> in the area. It's a fascinating thing. But uh, Ron DeSantis is doing what I think conservatives want Ron DeSantis to do, which is to not lay down. He's standing up and he's saying, wait a minute, no, we're going to do something about this. You're going to start acting like this. You're going to start attacking us. You're going to say the goal of your company is to repeal the legislation of the representatives of the state. Well, then we're going to look at whatever perks you've been given over the years and see how you like that. And that's what's going on right now. It's going to be a heck of a battle. And Disney, as we know, uh, is really hypocritical uh, on so many different things because we... You know, this is why I question how woke Disney really is. Are they woke? Is Disney a woke corporation? I would say yes. That would be my initial reaction. But I think there's two separate things here. You have one side of, of wokeness, which is this adherence 
to the left line, sort of the crazy liberal line, all these agendas we've talked about over all of these years. And on the other side, you have corporations that, you know, want to be favored by, you know, they want their ESG score to be nice and high. They want the good media coverage. They want to please their employees. Which one is Disney? I don't know. Because you might say their behavior seems to be that really woke uh, side of things that everybody, you know, every single uh, cause that AOC loves, Disney seems to love. But on the other hand, look at what they're doing around the world right now. Disney is expanding operations in 10 countries that can, certainly by our standards, can only be described as anti-gay. Uh, let me give you a list here. Algeria, they're expanding there. Well, it's illegal uh, to have same-sex uh, activity in uh, Algeria, up to three years in prison. Egypt, it's illegal, up to 17 years in prison. Libya, it's illegal, up to five years in prison. Morocco, illegal, up to three to five years in prison. Oman, illegal, up to three years in prison. The, the heart throbs of the modern left in Palestine which is not actually a country, but they still have laws. It's legal in the West Bank, but illegal for males elsewhere and up to 10 years in prison. Qatar uh, or Qatar or Gutter, however, whatever the pronunciation is today, it's illegal up to seven years in prison. Uh, Tunisia, up to three years in prison. It is illegal. Uh, let's see. Uh, Antigua, which... It's a surprise entry on this list to me. Uh, it's illegal, up to 15 years in prison. Dominica, illegal, up to 10 years in prison. These are places that Disney is choosing to expand its operations. It wants to do business in these companies, uh, countries. And let me give you the last two. Saudi Arabia and Yemen. Same-sex activity is illegal up to a punishment of death. These are people executing gays. And yet we're being preached to because we don't want our kindergartners to be discussing uh, the ins and outs of gay sex or straight sex, for that matter, in the middle of their class. Is this insane? Seems like it is. Uh, Raven Simone uh, is, is uh, coming out in, with a typical, just brilliant Hollywood rant about uh, how intelligence, just want, if you want to reveal your intelligence on a particular topic, start right here. She says, if there's, a don't, if there's a don't say gay bill, there should be a don't say straight bill. First of all, I, the mind-blowing stupidity of this is, is hard to overcome. But I will say, that is so very typical of the behavior I've come to expect from Raven. That's so Raven. Um, the don't say gay bill doesn't exist, okay? You've been fooled into believing it exists. It does not exist, okay? So there wouldn't be a don't say straight bill because there isn't a don't say gay bill. What there is is a bill that says we shouldn't be talking about sex to second graders. And in that way, if you really want to bend the rules of English and the meaning of words, there is a don't say gay and don't say straight bill for kindergartners, first graders, and second graders. I think third graders, too. It goes up to third. So in those ages, you're not supposed to talk about all that stuff really at all. So you don't, there's no straight, there's no gay. I just maybe kids should be kids. Maybe they should be thinking about what, what their body parts are going to be doing later on in life. I don't know. Seems a little weird to me. But again, uh, maybe they're as obsessed as the Daily Beast is with kids' genitals and the way they use them. I don't know. It's a weird thing to admit, uh, but I guess it's okay. 
uh, if you happen to be the Daily Beast, which is not exactly a high standard. All of this is bizarre and really, really sort of parallels a fundamentalist religion in a way. You see this all the time. Uh, there's the strict adherence to it. You can't have any minor misstatement. Any, and even if you're super woke, you can never be woke enough. You can never adhere enough to this fundamentalist religion. Then you have the anger at the apostates. Someone breaks the rules. Someone goes the other direction. You have to show your anger publicly, denounce them, smite them. There are threats to those who are sacrilegious. If you mock the, 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 uh, the religion, as we've seen so many people do on, on Twitter and other p- places on social media, if you make a joke, if you dead name someone, if you, de- if you uh, misgender them, you're thrown off. You get punished because of your sacrilegious behavior. You know, it's fascinating to see this happen. And when, when they're talking about this bill in particular in Florida, one of the things they keep bringing up is this concern that a teacher, maybe a teacher who is gay, can't talk about their weekends. They can't talk about their weekends. They can't talk about their home life in class. Oh, it's so, so sad. First of all, I don't know. I didn't know anything about my teacher's home life. Teach me addition. Teach me division. Teach me sentence structure. Teach me the basics. Reading, writing, arithmetic. I don't care, you know, if you played water polo over the weekend. That's not interesting to me. But okay, you know, I can understand people want to you know, personalize uh, their behavior. There's an instinct, uh, they're, they're, uh, there's an instinct I think, in, in all of us that want to connect with people and talk about our lives. I understand that. But how about Christian teachers? You think Christian teachers can come in and talk about how they went to church this weekend? How they had a little uh, church bake sale? How they, uh, they taught Sunday school and here's the lesson I taught. You think any of that is able to come up? Those people get thrown out of school if they do that. So now we are at a place where public schools are uh, established and you can talk about sex and gender transitioning and all this stuff with second graders, but you can't even discuss Christianity with high school students. Unless, of course, you're bashing it as the cause of all of the world's evils. Long term. Let's project a little into the future. How does all of this play out for a civilization? When you can't talk about moral values if they're tied to faith, but you can, you're forced to allow uh, sexual education to kindergartners. Why, how does this work out long term? I, is it good? Do you see? Because, I mean, if you're horrified at that prospect, think of how much it excites the far left. They love this. This is what they've always wanted. AOC is dancing around her kitchen to this news, at least until she gets scared when she notices the garbage disposal again. <laughs> oh, my God. What is that thing in the sink? Why is it attached to a light switch? Look, the truth is Disney has chosen this path. They have decided their future will be determined by the woke religion and not by the original vision of Walt Disney. That's their prerogative. But it's also yours. Remember, you can decide whether you want to have anything to do with them. If they want to bow at the altar of wokeness, there's nothing stopping them. Just like there's nothing stopping you from staying the hell away from their giant talking mouse. And look, all of this is really important. And I I hope I hope this stuff hits you at some point. Uh, We've been talking about it a lot, and 
you know, it, sometimes it just washes over you as part of the news. It's just another story, another day. But if there's one thing that I hope you hold on to from today's show and continue to reflect on this weekend, it's this. Always remember, musicals suck. How old does your mirror say that you are? Well, you could delay this, the answer to this question for 5, 10, maybe 15 years with the new ultra-retinol serum from GenuCell. Uh, Marina from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, says, Great product. My skin loves it. I've spent so much money on creams over the years, enough to pay off my house. This is product has changed my life like no other. People love this stuff. Marina is flying high with GenuCell's new ultra-retinol serum technological wonder that hydrates your skin at a cellular level and builds on this deep moisture with the incredible anti-wrinkle effects of retinol. Uh, you can go to genucell.com slash stew right now, get 50% off, up to 50% off for the brand new ultra retinol serum. You'll be amazed with the results or your money back. And I think this is the most important thing. You hear about this stuff, you hear these claims. I don't know. Is the same thing going to happen for you that happened with Marina? I don't know. Why not try it? And if it doesn't work, They'll give you your money back. You also get GenuCell's immediate effects for results in 12 hours or less. That's free with your order. Go to GenuCell.com slash stew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash stew. They have free express shipping, free returns, great customer service, GenuCell.com slash stew. So glad to welcome back Alex Epstein to the program. He's the founder and CEO of the Center for Industrial Progress and the author of the upcoming book, Fossil Future, Why Global Human Flourishing Requires More Oil, Coal, and Natural Gas, Not Less. That's coming on May 24th. Be sure to pre-order a copy today. Alex, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. It was cool to run into you in the studio yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I look, I look back at this before, we, before you came on. January 17th, 2015. The old, wonderful world of stew had a guest named Alex Epstein come on to talk about his book. Uh, it's been a while, and it's funny just to run into you in the hallways. It's great to see you. Yeah, I think that might have been the last time I was in the studio. And, you know, we had that great segment with Glenn, hmm. which is one of my favorite interviews ever, was you and Glenn. And I think Jeff might have been there as well. And hmm. that that got that book to number like 70-something on Amazon, even months after it was released. Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, that yeah. is. So. Yeah. Uh, that was a very fond memory for me. Yeah, and that's a great, great book. It's one, uh, you, if you don't have it or you haven't read it yet, make sure you pick it up. And, of course, the new one coming out here in just a few weeks, which is big news. And I think also the reason why you're under attack right now, this book uh, coming out and the attack from the Washington Post, uh, it's not a coincidence, uh, Alex. Uh, people uh, might not be up on this story. Can you kind of wa walk people through how you found out about that this attack was coming and, and what they're trying to charge you with? Yeah, so basically, you know, I have a, a book from a major publisher and we have a big publicist and they send out review copies to different people, including the climate, one of the climate reporters at The Washington Post. So what you would expect is, OK, maybe the person disagrees, maybe they say something critical. But no, not in this case. They got sent a copy of the book. But Monday morning, I opened my email and I hear that they are going to run a piece at 6 a.m. Uh, Eastern time on Wednesday that is going to supposedly expose me as a racist and then claim that because I am a racist, my arguments about how fossil fuels are so crucial to, say, poor people in Africa are invalid. I don't really mean them. And of course, by being exposed as a racist by the Washington Post, 
you know, that's a cancellation on a large scale, right? So it's saying you're invalid, you're immoral, and it's canceling this book. So uh, the problem is, I mean, the problem is the argument doesn't make any sense anyway to do that kind of thing. But in my case, I have no history of racism whatsoever. And the way they tried to prove that is they have this organization they're in cahoots with called Documented. And apparently they just look through every single thing you've ever written in your life and then will, are willing to totally distort it. So in my case, they looked at things that I wrote while I was a student at Duke uh, in the Duke Review, a publication I worked with, and those things were not remotely racist, they were individualist. So for example, I said Western civilization is superior, and I said very, very clearly and publicly, Western culture, Western civilization is has no skin color whatsoever. Culture, civilization is about ideas. Skin color has nothing to do with ideas. The other thing, and this is literally the only other thing they referred to was, I had certain critical statements about Martin Luther King Jr., specifically actions of his that I thought went against individualism and freedom. So namely that he was associating very significantly with global communism and that he supported certain racial preferences programs and certain welfare programs that I argued were very destructive to the black individuals that they were supposed to benefit. That's all I did. You can look at it. It's it's documented. So people are acting like I'm commenting on something. I'm making stuff up. We have an email from them with a plan of action saying we're going to show that these quotes from you and then we're going to have alleged experts say you're racist. And then we're going to argue that because you're racist, you're not credible or sincere on this issue. So basically they're saying we're going to destroy your life and it's totally baseless. And what they wanted me to do was just give a comment that they could then butcher or ignore and say, look, Alex commented, or if I didn't comment and said nothing, they'd say, well, we tried to get him. Right. But you, you don't do respond that way to a hit piece. And I think this is the lesson we'll see that everyone should learn. When you see that there's a hit piece, you do not respond privately and you do not fail to respond. You respond publicly and preemptively and you refute and condemn the hit piece. And that's what I did. It was incredibly successful. They still haven't run the thing. And they're complaining that I am the villain and their reporter is the victim. That's their answer. They say Alex Epstein's groupies are harassing this poor reporter who tried to destroy his life with false racism accusations. Guess whether that's flying with anyone besides a, a bunch of incestuous so-called journalists. Yeah, that's it's amazing. I, I want to highlight one thing you, you mentioned there. They have not actually run the piece. I mean, it seems like they're no. terrified to run it because you've already destroyed the entire premise with facts. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to do, guys. The game is over. You had all you did was just take some quotes that were not racist at all. They were the opposite of racist. And you just distorted them and got some people to say they're racist, which makes no sense. I also pointed out today, because I was reading through some of my old stuff, and if you look at my most popular articles when I was in college in the main newspaper at Duke, I explicitly said, like, racism is evil, we need to condemn it, and race has nothing to do with culture. So this just shows that what they say is, oh, it was just being researched. How can you comment on an article before it's published? Like, you had an outline of the hit piece. It is not research to deliberately dig up stuff and distort it to destroy somebody. That is not honest research. That is dishonest destruction. So the idea that the journalism community is standing up for this, the Washington Post managing editor stood up. A dozen plus journalists stood up. Something called Pen America that allegedly cares about writers stood up and condemned me for a coordinated 
coordinated online harassment campaign. What about me? I'm a writer whose life and new book was attempted to be destroyed. I didn't come into this week trying to destroy anyone. I preemptively defended myself, and I was certainly right to do so. Mm, I, I, absolutely, first of all. And it is amazing the way that this, this, this is the typical reaction from the media. Whenever you is call it? out one of their journalists, they act as if you're a bully and you're just you, you know being mean to them for no reason when these guys are ruining people's lives every single day. They're canceling them. They're ruining their livelihood. They're, they're getting them fired from their jobs. They're, they're taking things out of context to destroy their families and their lives. And then they act as if they, they're, the material they write is not able to be criticized. And it's some unfair tactic. It really is bizarre, Alex. Yeah, I, I, have, I have the exact same thought. I mean, I just want to reiterate, like, imagine, you know, I'm a writer. That's what I love to do. They are, imagine a Washington Post story. Imagine I don't do this. So I do what they're saying and I just let the article be published and then I comment in mm -hmm. on it. Okay, so the Washington Post, one of the most powerful communications institutions in the world, has this deliberate intent of destroying me. They spread this far and wide and then I go in reaction mode and hope that they print a retraction a month later in some obscure portion of their website. Let the idea Alex Epstein is a racist will already be spread far and wide. What they don't like, and, and you know, the brilliant communications expert and Dilbert uh, writer, um, you know, co uh, comic strip artist Scott Adams said, you know, basically I reframed it and truthfully as it went from Alex Epstein as a racist to the Washington Post is falsely smearing Alex Epstein as a racist. They don't like that I controlled the narrative by telling the truth preemptively. But I think I've given people the blueprint. If you are innocent, now if you're guilty, it's different. But if you are innocent and you have a hit piece against you, do what I did and you'll see them scurrying and doing this ridiculous victim blaming that nobody believes except their own incestuous clique. Mm, yeah, it's, it's so true. You know, obviously we've been doing uh, shows on the conservative side for a very long time. Glenn and I in particular, going back a couple decades, we had an organization, you know, there's been tons of them, but Media Matters was probably the first one that I remember who would take quotes of, from the show out of context and blast them all over the place. And we'd get these calls from these, from these papers who would take their crappy information and then start writing stories and come to us and say, hey, we're going to write this. We're going to write this. Do you have an answer for this? Do you have an answer <laughs> to that? And, and, you know, like a lot of the a lot of the people who were trying to manage these stories on the PR side and everything, th their answer was many times to play by the rules. Like, well, we give them a con uh, comment so they can put it in their paper. And then once it comes out, we can talk about it and we can give our side of the story. But like, especially now, with social media the way it is, the way this the word spreads so fast, you've got that scarlet letter if you wait that long. And I think your approach here is really a, 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 a blueprint for people in the future who, as you point out, are innocent and want to fight back and not let these guys t take you down these, these dark roads. Yeah, I think it works for anyone who's innocent. Again, so if they ask you for a comment on a hit piece do not give it to them and do not refrain from commenting. Make a public comment that, you know, that refutes their story and that condemns their stories and injustice. The story should be about their injustice against you. It shouldn't be about their false claim. Hmm. Yeah, honestly, uh, Alex, what, as I saw you doing this, because you, you have a detailed video that you put out on Twitter and on <laughs> YouTube, and I watched it, and it's great, and you really go through, I mean, in detail of every single point they brought up and show how ridiculous it all is. 
But as I was watching you do it, I was like, this is Alex doing his point about arguing to 100. That's <laughs> exactly what you're doing here. Can you explain to people how that works? It's interesting I didn't make that exact connection. I think really? of it because because in the new book, which I'm about to send you, well, there are two related things. So it is arguing to 100, but what you reframe and then you argue to 100. So to so take the example of energy, how is energy conventionally framed? The ideal, which I call the 100, the moral good, is eliminating CO2 emissions or mm -hmm. eliminating fossil fuels. Uh, that's the good. And then the evil is using more fossil fuels. And people tend to accept that framework and then, but if they have unease about certain anti-fossil fuel policies, instead of trying to reframe it, the what I call argue to zero. So somebody will say, hey, we need this Green New Deal. And they'll say, no, it has this flaw and this flaw and this flaw, but they're just trying to take it back from 100 to zero. They're not trying to put forward something. Whereas what I do is I reframe and I say, forget this goal of eliminating emissions. That's not any kind of primary goal. We want to advance human flourishing around the world and expand human empowerment around the world. That's my 100. And by that 100, fossil fuels are good. So here, yeah, I would think I didn't think of it exactly in terms of arguing to 100, but it's it's basically it's reframing it in terms of the issue is not about how much of a yeah. So here it is, like they're framing it as like how much of a racist is Alex Epstein, mm -hmm. and I am not playing that game. Right. The issue is how much of an injustice did they perpetrate against Alex Epstein to cancel him and his book? And depending on how you want to measure it, they get a negative 100 or a 100. I mean, I know your stuff better than you do, Alex. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm I know. <laughs> um, I love it. That's the most satisfying. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about the new book. It comes out in May. Um, and, uh, you know, the moral case, again, I uh, can't say enough about the moral case for fossil fuels. Such an important book. This is a new one coming out. It's on the same sort of topics. How does it differ? And, and what can, can you tell us about it? Yeah, so I, I have it here. I'm very excited to have a physical copy of it. I spent uh, three years ago. So you, you can see it as it's really a replacement, like a far, far superior replacement for the moral case for fossil fuels. Well, I mean, moral case for fossil fuels, I really appreciate that people like, uh, I liked it. But, you know, I wrote it in six months when I knew much, much less than I do now. Mm. And, you know, what often people do is they like they get on a topic and then they leave the topic for a new topic. But to me, this is still the most important topic in the world that I have the most expertise on. So in the seven or eight years since the book came out, I have learned five times as much about the content and how to explain it. So I thought rather than just do a new book on another topic and lose all that expertise, I would make a book that was 10 times clearer, much more comprehensive, and of course, totally current. The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels has data from 2013. You know, that's not as useful today. So this is just the ultimate, you can think of it as it's the moral case for a fossil future. The other thing is it's much more focused on the future, on the next several decades and generations. So I would say, um, you know, once it's out, you don't really need the moral case for fossil fuels. You might find it charming, like I said, as a historical artifact, but fossil future is like, that's really my life's work. And, and I, I think it's amazing. Oh, wow. I, I really can't wait to get it. I, I know you mentioned uh, you're going to hook me up with a copy soon. I, I would love to read I it. I am. And if you have time, uh, once the book comes out, and once I get through it and read and everything, I'd love to come you back, have you back for like an extended uh, interview so we can kind of go through as much of it as we can. Uh, I know well, you're going to understand it better than I will. Yeah, that's right. So, I will so tell I'm going to, you can teach me. <laughs> I'll be like the M. Night Shyamalan. I'll tell you what the twist is at the end. 
Uh, we'll, we'll figure that out as it comes. Alex Epstein, he's the founder and CEO of the Center for Industrial Progress and author of the upcoming book, Fossil Future, Why Global Human Flourishing Requires More Oil, More Coal, and Natural Gas, Not Less. You can get it your hands on it May 24th, and we'll have him back on to talk about it. You can pre-order it now. Alex, uh, I'm glad you were not canceled, and thank you so much for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. So if you want to buy or sell a home, you know how challenging it can be. And it's not even challenging. At this point, it's not challenging to sell a home. You could sell it, but are you going to get the best price for it? Is the transaction going to, to work out in the best way possible for you? Uh, are you going to fix a bunch of stuff in your house that you don't need to when you're selling your home? It's a big deal. It could be thousands and thousands of dollars by making the wrong decisions on each side of that. And if you're buying, you know, uh, you got to have somebody on your side. you got to have somebody who's willing to step up and say, you know what? That's not a good deal. And I'd love to sell you I'd I'd love to make this transaction, but you know what? It's not the right one for you, in my opinion, and I'm going to be honest with you on that. you got to find that person, and it's realestateagentsitrust.com. That's the place to go to find all of, uh, of this uh, information and to get hooked up with the best real estate agent in your area. Realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Stunningly, an overwhelming majority of Americans do not approve of Congress. I am shocked. Only 21% approve of Congress, which is um, exactly 21% too high. Exactly 21 points too high. I love this line, though, in the story. Uh, This is from The Hill. Congress saw a brief spike in approval ratings to 31% in 2020 after they gave away a couple trillion dollars. Can you imagine? You give away trillions of dollars and people are like, you know what? We're almost to a third of the people like you now. Like, (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, not not exactly a third. That would be crazy. But, hey, if you spend another $10 trillion, maybe they'll fall in love with you all over again. Uh, that's amazing and well, well deserved. Uh, by the way, the, uh, the Congress has kind of gone into this uh, panic mode over, uh, you know, all of the January 6th stuff. And, look, you know, we've talked about January 6th. I, 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 I didn't like, not like that at all. Uh, not, not a fan of the day. And, 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 of course, the way it's been used has been even worse than probably the actual day itself. There's a lot negative that comes out of that. But, as usual, the Democrats are, are reaching uh, far, far, far uh, too, uh, too far into the, in, into the distance to try to grab some story that isn't really there. I mean, t- you know, one of the things they released last week, and every news uh, organization uh, parroted this claim, there was a seven and a half hour gap in phone calls on January 6th. And look, there wasn't a seven and a half hour gap in phone calls on January 6th. We know for a fact that the president was calling uh, senators uh, who were inside the Capitol building and talking to them in the middle of this supposed gap. We know those calls happen. We have recordings of the voicemails he made at the time. So we knew this going in. Everybody knew he made phone calls then. And so the, they immediately switched from the allegation of um, uh, that he, you know, uh, well, we want to see all these phone calls. We want to see who he called. They, they had a gap in the uh, in the records and they switched to, well, he must be using burner phones. Now, look, the president of the United States not walking into 7-Eleven and grabbing a burner phone. That's not how this works. OK, I mean, do we really think that's happening? I, he does. He grab other people's phones. There's got to be some sort of innocuous explanation for this, because 
even if he was hiding some of his phone calls, he would know the records would, he would know it was obvious that these records weren't complete. Well, CNN, among others, goes out and they blow this out of proportion and say it's the worst thing they've ever heard. He's obviously on burner phones. What's going on? And then a few days later, they write a real story about it. And the story goes like this. The mystery of the seven-hour gap that has fueled furious speculation on your own freaking channel as to why calls are missing uh, includes allegations that Trump was using burner phones, which he has denied, or that the logs were purposely suppressed. But the gap might have a less mysterious explanation. According to multiple sources familiar with Trump's phone behavior and the White House switchboard records, the January 6th log reflects Trump's typical phone habits. He mainly placed calls through the switchboard when he was in the residence, but rarely used it when he was in the Oval Office. The fact that the log does not show calls on January 6th from the Oval Office is not unusual, said the sources, because Trump typically had staff either place calls directly for him on landlines or cell phones. Those calls would not be noted on the switchboard log. That Now, by the way, there's six reporters, six reporters assigned to this uh, to uncover the basic patterns of the president of the United States who was in office for four years that they surely knew in advance. And the problem here is not this article, which is actually, I mean, that that pretty much sums it up. You, It's understandable that someone sees a seven hour gap and goes, wait, what would happen there? Oh, well, that's just his normal pattern. He must have been in the Oval Office. Well, yeah, we all know he was in the Oval Office. Why wasn't that the first story? Why wasn't that the take right off the shoot? Uh, I don't know. I mean, well, I guess I do know. But it is disappointing, and it's why the media is the only place that has a worse approval rating than Congress. <laughs> That's really it. Uh, Biden, by the way, is uh, about to make things worse yet again. We know this. This is what he does. This is these are his patterns. Um, he is uh, going to uh, get rid of the immigration ban called Title Forty Two. Now, this was something put in by Trump basically to stop the spread of COVID. Now, people on the left will say, oh, well, he wanted, he wanted to shore up the border anyway, and he's obviously uh, he's a racist racist that, that gets too racist And so he put this in and used COVID as an excuse. What's fascinating about this is when Trump put it in, it was a real concern. I mean, I, we've talked about the border. There was real, a real problem with COVID coming across the border, particularly early on. As that, uh, that risk sort of alleviated and things changed. We got treatments and vaccines and, and natural immunity and all the things that developed uh, over that time. Biden kept it in. Like he was the one who was using it in the way of like, well, it's not really justified anymore by COVID-19. But he knew there was a huge problem on the border and he didn't want to go down the tubes in his approval rating. Well, now he's like, well, we're already down at the bottom of the tube. What are we going to do now? He's going to lift these things. They think two million illegal immigrants may cross the border when he does so. And there's going to be a whole nother wave of, uh, of illegal immigration that this president can't seem to handle. Um, and finally, uh, Jen Psaki is planning on leaving the White House this spring for a gig at MSNBC, which is fascinating because I think, honestly, I've watched MSNBC Jen Psaki might be more skeptical about the Biden administration than MSNBC is like she actually might be more critical of them. She's the legitimate, the literal press secretary for Biden. And I think she has more skepticism about the Biden administration than uh, does the typical host at MSNBC. And this, of course, does ruin the expected landing place for Jen Psaki as the uh, new co-star of Practical Magic Part Two. Uh, <laughs> it was this is, this is just and Nicole Kidman had red hair in the movie and uh, it, it does seem like something I will say this uh, it was 
a movie about witches. So a uh, couple of uh, similarities there. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Stu, I want an amazing belt that's comfortable, fashionable, and customizable. But I don't want to have to sell my car and go to Europe and try to find it in some little shop on the corner. Well, up until now, that, of course, was the only way you could possibly do it. But you don't want to do that to the environment, right? I mean, think of the emissions of that flight. Now there's Grip6. You can get it right here in America. Grip6 is a small company in Utah that sells uh, stuff in the United States, sure, but also all over the world. And everything it sources comes from America. They have these great wool socks. They get, you know, it's it's American wool. All these things that people tell you are impossible to do here, Grip6 has figured it out. They have great belts. They have great wallets. They have great socks as well. Socks that can uh, keep your your adorable little feet nice and warm, uh, but not too thick. So that's a nice little uh, uh, midpoint there where you can get the warmth if you need it, but they're not too hot, too thick when you don't. Um, the belts are awesome. They're really cool. They're stylish. Uh, the wallets are totally different. you got to check this stuff out for yourself. Grip6.com slash stew. Use the code stew to save 15% right now. Grip, the number six, dot com slash stew. Get 15% off today. It's grip6.com slash stew. You know, no one that traveled to Jeffrey Epstein's Lolita Island ever subscribed to this podcast. So to prove you were not there, just click subscribe. That will show for sure that you did not travel to that hellhole, Jeffrey Epstein's Island. I mean, if, if you don't subscribe, I mean, I don't know. Their question's just still out there. No big deal. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. If you rate and review the podcast, we'd appreciate it. Uh, love the new show. Glad Glenn isn't in your way, except for Wednesdays, of course. Uh, also, really appreciate that the iTunes picture only partially shows your face. Thanks, Larry. Well, thank you. Uh, Larry, uh, this is about school choice. Uh, this is a great one. School choice has always been popular with everyone but the teachers unions. Even on the West Wing, sometimes known as the left wing, they made a successful argument for school choice. If we can't win this argument in this moment, we don't deserve to govern. Amen. Stu, please exchange every second frame with your face on it by a chart and every third by a graph. Now, your face is just fine, but graphs and charts are better. That's true. And we know that here on Stu Does America. And then this one comes in, maybe the new slogan for the show, Stu Does America, great. And as always, somewhat disturbing. It's true. It's just true. Uh, StuDoesMerch.com. By the way, Stu10 is the code. You can save 10% on all the merch right now. StuDoesMerch.com. Back in a second. Welcome back. Joined by a couple of special guests. Number one, new puppy, Ivy. Here she is, star of the internet, the dog (laughs) that does not even shed on this dark suit. It's incredible. Uh, Ivy is our new puppy, and my wife is here as well. She brought her in. Lisa Page, hello. Hi. How are you, dear? No, we did not plan, really. We truly did not Mm -hmm. plan on being on the show today. I was just here to bring my friend around for Mm -hmm. a tour, Mm -hmm. and we happened to pop on set. And you brought the adorable dog. And I happen to have the dog with me. And she's very tired from all of the walking today. Very tired. But I'm excited that now everybody can see her. It's official. She's here. She's three months old. If anyone's asking, she's a micro golden doodle. A not micro- a mini. There's a difference. There is a difference. And I did not know that. I thought we were getting a mini. No, she's a micro. So a micro is like 15 to 20 pounds. A mini is 20 to 40 pounds. Okay. And, and this then is a you micro. have your standard golden doodle. 
which they're big. They look like giraffes to me. Yeah, they do. They like like curly hair giraffes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Now, Ivy is uh, only three months old. And uh, now she is this calm most of the time. Yeah. When she's sitting on a lap. Yes. She does sprint. Uh, And she has lots of zoomies. Yes. Lots of zoomies. Uh, But she's a great, great dog for uh, just a few months. Definitely would highly recommend if you have uh, little kids. This is a good, uh, a a good breed to go with. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember one of the first lessons we learned when we went to CNN was, now, of course, you'd think, okay, CNN, they're going to give you some important lesson about journalism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they gave us the lesson of put lots of an- cute animals on your screen because when people are flipping through the channels, they always stop on the cute animals. That was legitimately like the first piece of advice really? we got at CNN. Like, do segments with animals. As long as people your animals, like animals are liberal. As long as they're liberal and they vote for Joe Biden, put them on. Uh, yes, and Ivy has joined Antifa. Uh, she is that liberal. Uh, she's joining Antifa. She's uh, going to, uh, sh- are you woke? Are you woke? Oh, never. This you, dog will no. nobody, no, nobody, no. No. <laughs> I will not allow it. So let me ask you this, because you are, we've talked about this before, a bit of a, a clean freak. Uh, that we've got a brand new puppy in your brand new, we had, of course, we had our house redone. Everybody, everybody knows about the holy water home reno. Yes. Everybody knows that we've re- redone our whole house. Yes, because we had, uh, thankfully, um, a, a, a pipe burst. Yeah. So how how is this going for you? Because I was I, concerned. Well, I should be the one asking you because you're living with me. <laughs> well, I will say, everybody, I've been taking a Xanax every night before bed. Uh, yeah, full disclosure. But it can be stressful. It's very stressful. Yeah. But she's worth it. Yeah. Well, she you know she's pretty. Hello, hello. She's pretty good. I mean, she doesn't. She's she's pretty well doing pretty well going outside. Yes. But she does have her occasional accidents. I mean, I and I personally did have an outburst on my entire family, enraged on everybody this morning. <laughs> I so, didn't notice. I didn't notice at all. I don't know I'm like, get about. out of the house. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It's fine because you know what? It, there's no better person to have accidents all over the house but me. I have I am so prepared with every stain oh remover. I've got every cleaner, every vacuum, every single thing you can imagine. If any of these cleaners are toxic, we're all going to die in 3 months. Oh, well, look, that's <laughs> the Bath and Body Works wallflower debacle is a whole other thing. Yeah, that, is. that is another show. Now, it's important to note here that there is um, you know, there are 24-hour news uh, channels all over the place now. You can get uh, internet uh, news all the time. There's the news cycle is constant, just like the pictures of Ivy are constant on your Instagram channel. Um, there, <laughs> this is one of the most well-covered dogs in America, right here, Ivy. Uh, people can follow you on Lisa Page. Made me do it. But also, like, I feel mm-hmm. like she needs she. We are not getting as many views on TikTok as I would like. I don't understand what the problem is. I'm hashtagging for your page. What's the problem? Well, I do think that you have to factor in the fact uh, that uh, it's controlled by the Chinese Communist government. Oh, that's true, right. And I'm a conservative, and so God forbid. <laughs> so forget it. You're forget not going to get a lot of love on TikTok. But, but Instagram, even Instagram, they yeah. hate me too. Yeah, they love, the, you know, the dog thing though works. This is, this is, we need to come up with ways yeah. to turn this into a scam. We've got yeah. a cute doggy here. She's so great. Uh, how do we maximize this? How do we exploit uh, social media to uh, earn millions? Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's what people do on social media, right? You're supposed to exploit your dog. And this is what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, yeah, totally. No, totally. This is it. The whole new show. From now on, I'm just doing monologues like this. And I want everybody else to know that's watching that we still, I still have George, my baller guinea pig. We still have our hamster nibbles. We have Griffin, our bearded dragon. We have Miles, President Miles, Old Man River, and Piper. We have a freaking zoo is what we have. I you have matriarch. turned the house into a zoo. I have my own zoo at home. This is why, yeah, this is, but this is, it's great. It's fine. Okay. But we're done. We're definitely done with animals because I'm the one cleaning 
all of the cages. Uh, well, that's of course true. Uh, we're almost out of time. Uh, so we do have to go back and feed the cows and the goats. I think there's some back there now, maybe a couple chickens or something. I did see a coyote in the property behind us the other day. Perfect. Great. Perfect. Awesome. That's perfect. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much uh, for coming on and bringing our Make adorable Make Ivy to everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye-bye. Bye-bye-bye. I Look. promise not to crap on Glenn's new carpet in his office. Make taxes lower. <laughs> yay, yay, Impeach Biden. Yay. Invoke the 25th Amendment. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you tomorrow. Or actually Monday, I guess. Jeez, it's yeah, a weekend. Yeah, Monday. Woohoo!